Welcome to the 133rd edition of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a brief overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, a look back at the NCAA tournament Sweet 16 and Elite 8 and our final four predictions, and a look at the NBA playoff picture as the regular season comes down the home stretch. Let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com, starting in the NBA, where Patrick went 4-0 with his weekend predictions. Turning to NCAA tournament action, Patrick also went 4-0 with his predictions, meaning he went 8-0 overall this weekend with his predictions, bringing his record to 380 and 265 overall, a 58.9% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your perfect predictions? Well, uh, obviously this is not counting every prediction that we made on the podcast on Monday, but just in case my mind changed, I wanted to only keep what I predicted on Thursday. I actually did consider changing some of my picks from the podcast till Thursday just based on, you know, betting lines, based on stories and narratives because, you know, there's always the team that everybody picks to win in a very close game and then that team always somehow ends up losing. So I wanted to make sure I wasn't falling into the jinx or, or anybody getting jinxed. So uh, I could have changed some of them. I didn't. And uh, surprisingly, although I went 5-3 and three overall picking those Sweet 16 games, it, funny enough, I, I tried to pick the four closest games that were that were going to be there that night, and somehow in the four closest games, I went 4-0. In the games that were supposed to be blowouts, we, we both actually went 1-3, and three, so that was interesting. Uh, but I picked the two upsets right with Duke, at least a betting upset, beating Texas Tech, and then also with Houston beating Arizona. That one, a major seeding upset and a betting upset. Uh, but that's how that went down in the NCAA. Uh, and then Kansas over Providence was another one of those. And I am kind of forgetting the fourth one. But it doesn't matter. We, we we know what I picked for any of those games anyway. Uh, and then in the NBA, had a good... I mean, there was a really good slate of games. And uh, just a lot of good teams playing each other. A lot of teams with very similar records. Uh, I believe the Jazz and Mavericks game, they had the same record going into the game. So I just picked the team that I thought was better overall, and, you know, the Mavericks have been really good since the All-Star break, so I wanted to pick them. Uh, same thing with the Celtics, too, so I picked them, and then, you know, the Sixers have been on the up and up, but the Suns are just too good. They don't, I mean, they barely lose. If you pick if you pick them to lose any game, I don't know what's wrong with you, but because they, they barely, <laughs> even if you have some insider information or even if someone's out, I mean, I think they went maybe 7-2 and two or something like that when Chris Paul was out. I think maybe a little bit better than that. I feel like it was more games, but still, um... That's pretty much how those predictions went. So overall, I'm very satisfied with this week. All right. Well, Patrick's predictions for next weekend will be posted, as always, on our website on Thursdays. Let's turn our attention now to the NCAA tournament. First, with the look back at Elite Eight action. Patrick, the first game, number two, Villanova beat number five, Houston, 50-44. This game was a, uh, was a very ugly game. <laughs> Safe to say that. Uh, not great shooting in this game. But overall, I mean, look... Houston actually played great defense, which I think is the reason why Villanova shot so poorly. Uh, they didn't have the greatest shooting weekend. They, they weren't that efficient against Michigan either. Uh, but overall, Villanova's defense and their effort won out, and that's what caused them to get all the way to the Final Four. But, I mean, not much to say about this game, honestly. Uh, as I mentioned, it was not necessarily the most interesting game. Uh, but cre- credit to Villanova. Uh, they definitely deserve to win it. And uh, the big news, obviously, being that Justin Moore tore his Achilles at the end of the game, and he definitely will not be playing in the Final Four. 
Big news for Villanova. Not doesn't help their chances at all. Makes them very unlikely to win the title, especially with the road that they're going to have ahead of them. Probably playing the best team in the tournament, the best team left in the tournament first. Uh, that being Kansas, and then also having to face the winner of Duke, North Carolina, on the other side of the bracket afterwards. So that doesn't look too good for them. Yeah, a costly win for Villanova, and they were already down a reserve, so now they're down two players heading into a very tough Final Four matchup, which we'll talk about in a bit. All right, let's move over to uh, one of the other games. Number two, Duke beat number four, Arkansas, 78-69. Other than the Villanova-Houston game, this was the closest game there was. And uh, even still... Duke really Duke was really in control of this game the whole time, I, I want to say. I think Arkansas had the lead for a good amount of the first half, I think, maybe a few minutes, but Duke took the lead and kind of just never looked back. Uh, there was a point where Duke had it up to, base, to I think, 12 or 13, and then uh, Arkansas worked it back down, and then it got close again, and it was maybe, I think it was six some point, pretty late, and then... Uh, I think as Eric Musselman described it, they just gave up baskets and they just kind of folded. I mean, they just gave up a lot of, they, they gave up some shots to Duke. Duke drew up some great sets. They got some good shots up. They made the shots. They played good defense. And all of a sudden it ended up with, uh, it ended up with Duke winning that game, uh, 78-69. It was a close game though. And, and Duke, again, continues to play this zone that they did not play at all in the regular season. And they've used it as an adjustment for Texas Tech and for Arkansas just to throw just throw the other team off balance, and it's worked. Uh, and it was a little bit of a wrinkle that Coach K threw in there, and it's it's been working for them. So uh, congrats to Duke on making the Final Four and Coach K for breaking that record for most Final Four appearances, I think. Uh, so Duke and North Carolina getting set up as a, <laughs> with this game being the toughest one of, of those two. Yeah, so let's talk about that. Uh, number eight, North Carolina beat number 15, St. Peter's 69-49 in a game that wasn't as close as the score indicates. I think it was just about as close. I think it deserved <laughs> to be a 20-point game. If yeah. UCon- I, I guess I forgot facetious. North Carolina bear- I mean, North Carolina didn't even score 70, so to- losing by 20 points when the other team doesn't score 70 is pretty hard to do, but uh, St. Peter's didn't play their best game. Uh, I don't think they had the talent to win this game regardless. Every Cinderella kind of, all the runs pretty much end at some point. Uh, I-, I mean... I think, by the way, that's part of the reason why we name it a Cinderella run is because the clock eventually will strike midnight and everything will just end very abruptly and you'll look back to your normal self again. Um, and normally it happens a lot earlier for seeds that are this low, but credit on Saint, credit to St. Peter's for making this far, um, but unfortunately they won't have their coach to do it the next time around as Shaheen Holloway is uh, signing a deal to be the head coach of his alma mater, Seton Hall, which... By the way, that's a good hire by Seton Hall, I think. And, uh, well, we'll see how it turns out. But uh, I I don't know if anybody, I mean, from what I've heard from all the reports, it does not seem like St. Peter's is the team out of the MAC that's supposed to be there. If there was ever a team, you would assume it would be Iona with Rick Pitino coaching them. But, uh, yeah, it doesn't seem like this is an easy job. So don't expect a big name to come and, and take this job after just because, they, they're coming off an Elite Eight appearance. That does not make it a great job. I don't think it's one of the more... I, I think, actually, the reports were that it's probably the worst-funded team in all of that conference, and that conference isn't too great to begin with. Uh, so, look, St. Peter's had a great run, uh, but it might be a while before we mention their name again in the tournament. All right, and in the other game, uh, number one, Kansas beat number 10, Miami, 76-50, in a game that was much closer at halftime. Well, yeah, it was closer at halftime, but Kansas just absolutely blew Miami out of the water in the second half. Miami was up by six uh, at the end of the first half, got outscored by 32 
in the second half. Something that almost seems impossible. But look, Miami was up 35-29 to at halftime, which means that they only scored 15 points in the entire second half. If you're going to do that, you're going to lose to Kansas. Even if Kansas had had the same scoring output in both halves, they still would have won this game 58-50. to But part of the reason that Miami had such a low scoring output was because Kansas was forcing turnovers, and those turnovers were leading to offense, and that is how Kansas got on such a, got at such a big lead. I think they went on the 10-0 run. I think, I want to say Miami scored one basket at the beginning of the second half, and then Kansas went on a 10-0 run to take a two-point lead. And it went back and forth for maybe two or three minutes after that. And then after those two or three minutes, Kansas just started to pile it on, get a lot of dunks in transition, get some steals, and by the end of it, we had a big blowout in favor of the Jayhawks. All right, well, so that sets up a Final Four of Villanova, Duke, Kansas, North Carolina, with, as you mentioned, a Duke-North Carolina matchup in one side of the Final Four and Villanova against Kansas. Let's turn our attention to the Final Four, where the matchups are for the first time ever in the history of the NCAA tournament, Duke against North Carolina. Also the first time that two teams from the same state and the same conference have ever met up in the Final Four. And on the other side, a rematch from the 2018 Final Four, and I believe from the same regions and potentially the same seeds, number two Villanova against number one Kansas. Um, As we look towards the Final Four, we like to go to our favorite little Ken Palm statistic that does a really good job predicting who's going to win the national championship, um, which are teams that are in both the top 20 in Ken Palm's offensive and defensive efficiency matrix. So based on that, Patrick... Who wins? Well, first of all, it was a one-versus-one matchup that last time. Now it's a one-versus-two matchup, although Villanova looks maybe not exactly as good as that championship team. I would argue they do look like a two-seed compared to that team being a one. Uh, But look, our options as of Friday were down to no one. Houston was the last team remaining with that status. Uh, And I think UCLA, too, in that round also lost. But and Arizona, actually. No, no, no. No, Arizona lost earlier. Houston was the last one in the Elite Eight. Uh, yeah, so it, it looked like we had no one to pick, but something changed. I did mention that the possibility of Kansas playing good enough defense to become top 20 and floated around the idea of Villanova doing the exact same thing. Uh, as I picked I picked Villanova to be my wild card pick and Kansas to be to join that group and then Kansas to actually be my title pick. And after their amazing defensive performances in their Elite Eight matchups where combined they only allowed 94 points, uh, 50 for Kansas and 44 given up for Villanova, uh, Kansas and Villanova are now 17th and 18th in defensive efficiency respectively. History suggests that the winner of the Final Four matchup uh, between those two will now win the title. Uh, I, I, I have to say, I said on the podcast last week or on Friday that the winner of whoever would be there, including Houston, would end up winning that game. I thought that Houston, Villanova, and Kansas were the best three title contenders remaining. Uh, didn't believe in St. Peter's winning. Definitely not in Arkansas. Uh, some belief in, Nor- in North Carolina and, and a good amount in Duke, but still not putting them over Villanova, Houston, or Kansas in my mind. And uh, obviously Houston not going to be there, but in terms of Villanova and Kansas, I still think those are the two. Uh, but I had Villanova as my wild card. Kansas was my true pick. I'm going to stick with that. I think Kansas beats Villanova. I think Duke beats North Carolina. And then I think Kansas beats Duke to end the season in the season that they finally took over the all-time wins record, actually. All right. Well, I'm going to agree with you. Uh, I think that Duke uh, is going to beat North Carolina in this historic matchup. Coach K gets revenge. Softens the blow a little bit from the 
beatdown he took in his last home game. I think if he asked me, he'd probably rather win, rather win this game than have won the uh, his last home game. On the other side, it would have been a great game um, if Villanova wasn't hurt. But uh, that that too many too one too many injuries to a key player. I might have even picked Villanova if yeah, they weren't injured the way their play the way their defense played against Houston. Agree. But. I see no way they win this game um, shorthanded. So I agree with you, Kansas Duke in the final. But I'm going to go with the storybook ending. Coach K rides off into the sunset with an NCAA championship tournament and a net around his neck. Uh, I'm going to go with Duke. You go with the storybook ending. I go with the stats book ending. So uh, we'll we'll keep it at that. And I also think that. There's a there's a lesser known storyline there that maybe if it wasn't Coach K's final tournament, people would be talking a lot more about the fact that Kansas was creeping up on Kentucky and had been since Kentucky's awful season last year, and by virtue of their performance in Kentucky having an awful tournament performance this year, Kansas has now taken over the all-time wins record, and that might be the story of the tournament had it not been for St. Peter's and for Duke, uh, and, and also for this Duke-North Carolina matchup too, I will say. Uh, but... I will say that that definitely would be a key storyline, but it's not. But still, there's some storybook ending there too, and maybe maybe people will start to ignore it as we know that Coach K. If if Coach K loses, maybe people will try to distract from it to talk about how Kansas overtook the wins record and got a national championship in the same season, uh, and then people will start debating about who's the best program when now that Coach K is retired, and that'll be a whole separate thing going into next season. Uh, but look, I think it'll be a great Final Four regardless. I, I don't think that. Again, I agree with you. I don't necessarily think Villanova's going to win that game. I don't give them much of a chance. I think they'll still keep it close because they just play tough and they'll have someone to play for. Uh, but And look, Caleb, they do have a six-man rotation where basically everybody plays the minutes of a starter on a normal team. So Caleb Daniels is used to playing in that role. It's just that I don't know who's going to come off the bench and get the, and get those guys minutes on the bench and get everybody rest other than Archie Diacono and Brian Antoine now that Longino is out and they already don't have Justin Moore now because of that injury. So it'll be tough to see. And I mean, we'll have to see what happens, but that tight rotation is not helping them now. Just like kind of like actually how North Carolina almost got knocked out against Baylor because those guys who don't normally play at all were having to play after Brady Manick uh, got, got ejected from that game. The guys who weren't normally playing Donchez Styles and, Puff Johnson weren't really necessarily that ready. Uh, it might happen the same with Villanova, although they have a week to prepare rather than a short TV review for a flagrant foul uh, to prepare their team. But I think they'll keep it somewhat close. But I think that Duke-North Carolina game is definitely going to be the better game out of the two. Okay, well, that wraps up our look back at the NCAA tournament. Let's turn our attention to the NBA season, where with less than two weeks left in the regular season, Let's talk about what could happen uh, in the rest of the season as we head towards the playoffs. So, Patrick, I'm going to start off uh, with some questions for you. Actually, that'll be our whole segment. Let's start off with the fact that we have four teams, Boston, Miami, Milwaukee, and Philadelphia, all packed within a half game of the Eastern Conference number one seed. Who takes the number one seed in the Eastern Conference? For now, I I would say the Celtics. Uh, If we had talked before yesterday, I definitely would say the Celtics, but... I don't know the recovery time for a torn meniscus for a dude who's 6'11", that obviously being Robert Williams. If he wasn't injured, he's a huge part of what the Celtics do. If he wasn't injured, I'm taking the Celtics for that. But now that he's injured, I, I can't quite go with them anymore. Uh, the Heat are having some issues of their own. The one thing that kind of makes me want to pick the Heat is actually the fact that they've lost four in a row and they're still tied for the number one overall seed. 
but I feel like the Bucks are going to start kicking it into high gear and really start playing in playoff form again. And I feel like the Bucks is the defending champions. They have something to prove. I feel like they're going to claim the one seed, and I feel like th- that's who my pick has to be. I think you could really consider all four of them. Uh, I think the Celtics are the best team when they're fully healthy, but now they're missing a starter, so that changes the equation for them. Uh, I think Miami's probably the worst out of the four, uh, but then you have to look into the Celtics' injury just for, what, we only have like seven or so games left. All I mean, all these teams have seven or eight games left in the season. So when you're talking about that small of a sample size to decide who's the best, it, one injury is going to impact that a lot. Uh, so for now, I can't go with the Celtics, although I do think they're the best team in the East currently. And for now, I'll go with the Bucks uh, with the Sixers as a close second. Okay, well then who ends up with the number four seed out of that group? I don't think that the I don't think that the Celtics are still the number one seed with that injury for Robert Williams. However, I do still think that the Miami Heat are going to end up fourth out of those four teams. Knowing my luck, though, it's probably going to mean that the Sixers are the first seed and the Celtics are the fourth seed. But uh, I, I still believe that the Celtics are good enough to at least keep keep enough to maybe get the third seed, and I, I don't think they're going to fall all the way to four. Uh, although, and uh, honestly, there's also a possibility that maybe the Bulls even catch one of these teams because they've been playing poorly recently. There are still only three games back of that fourth spot as it stands now. All right. Well, with the loss to Charlotte yesterday uh, by the Nets and with Kyrie Irving back full-time now that the New York City athlete ma- uh, athlete vaccination mandate is lifted, uh, do the Nets avoid playing two games in the play-in round? I don't know if they do at this point. I'm going to go ahead and say yes, though. You know, they did surrender the tiebreaker to the Hornets, which is really, really important, and the Hornets have been playing very, very well recently. Uh, what what that tiebreaker means is basically the Nets have to finish above the Hornets by one game to get the eighth seed. They cannot tie them, so they have one game less. They have to finish one game better. I mean, it makes everything a little bit harder, uh, but at the same time, I still feel like teams are going to take the Hornets seriously down the stretch. If they're playing good teams, uh, I feel like those teams are still good enough to beat them no matter how hot they are. So I'm going to go ahead and say that the Hornets are going to falter a little bit and the Nets are going to step up their game to avoid at least playing that one game. Although I don't think there's any chance now that they make it all the way out of the play-in game. It just seems like it's way too far out of their reach. Okay, well, the Mavericks and the Jazz played each other last night, yesterday. Uh, is this a preview of the first round of the Western Conference playoffs? Well, at this point, you'd think that Denver is most likely to catch up to the Jazz or to the Mavericks at only one game back of the Jazz. I honestly think there's a chance that the Warriors boot fall down far enough to put the Mavericks at three. So I'm going to go ahead and say that with the combined chances of the Mavericks moving up to three and the Nuggets only being one game back of the Jazz and them moving up to f- to five over Utah, I'm going to go ahead and say that it's not going to be a first-round matchup. However, or sorry, I'm going to go ahead and say it's not going to be a 4-5 first-round matchup. However, the scenario I just described, I think at least one of those two is happening. But if none or if two of those two happen, they're still going to match up anyway because if both of those things happen, if the Warriors become the four and if Denver become the five, then it becomes a Warriors-Nuggets 4-5 instead of a Warriors-Nuggets 3-6. And then it also becomes a Mavericks-Jazz 3-6 series instead of a 4-5 series. So I do think that there's still a possibility 
that they match up. Uh, and I think it's probably more likely than not that they do match up. I just don't think, it, I think there's a high possibility that it also won't be in these seeds. But overall, if I had to pick the most likely outcome, I'd probably say that I'd probably say that they play each other out of playing each other or not playing each other. But if I had to go with the most likely outcome of seed specifics, I think if the Warriors don't get Steph Curry back, I think we're looking at the Mavericks taking the three and Utah staying at the five. Okay, well, if uh, they do match up in the first round of the playoffs, was the result of last night's game indicative of what would happen in the playoffs? I think the Mavericks are good enough to overtake the Warriors for the third seed, so evidently I should think that they're good enough to beat the Jazz in a playoff series with home court advantage, and I think they are. Uh, I know Donovan Mitchell, when it gets to the playoff time, is just another worldly player. He just gets so much better somehow uh, when they play in the playoffs. But at the same time, so does Luka. I mean, Luka's put up some amazing performances in the limited time that he's had in the playoffs, especially killing the Clippers. Uh, but, uh, you know, who who knows what happens when he doesn't play the Clippers? I mean, no, I'm just kidding. Of course, it's Luka Doncic. He's going to play good no matter who he's playing. However, I, I will say... I do think the Mavericks overall with those trades that they made, they've just been playing so well recently. And I think that overall, I think they have the better team surrounding Luka uh, rather than what the Jazz have surrounding Donovan Mitchell, even though obviously Rudy Gobert is a great player and so is Mike Conley. Uh, I think overall, I like what the Mavericks have just a little bit better. And I think they would win in that playoff series with the home court advantage too. All right. With the second toughest remaining schedule in the league and a loss last night to New Orleans, do the Lakers even make the plan? Well, before I answer that question directly, let's go into how that schedule shakes out. So their average winning percentage of opponents is 570, which is really, really high. Uh, and look, that's going to be tough for them to overcome, but it doesn't it doesn't stop there. I mean, when you're looking at it, the Lakers play at Dallas, at Utah. They play another game versus New Orleans after they already lost them last night. Then they play Denver, they play at Phoenix, at Golden State, they play Oklahoma City, and they play at Denver. They could probably lose all of those games except for what They could go 0-8 in those games, honestly. It is a definite possibility that they could go 0-8 in those games. I won't say that they will, and I don't think that they're going to go 1-7. I think they're going to go 2-6 and 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 or 3-5, and and we'll have to see if that's going to be enough. But I don't think they're going to finish the season strong at all. I, don't, I just don't see how playing teams like Dallas and Utah and Phoenix and Golden State, you're looking at teams who are jockeying for playoff position. It's very important. I mean, the Warriors, if they slide two teams down, they go from hosting a 3-6 playoff series to not hosting a single playoff series at all. Uh, and that's a big deal. So for the Lakers to for the Lakers to actually make it, I mean, they're going to have to beat these teams who are going to be playing their hardest, obviously, other than Oklahoma City. Uh, but even then, Oklahoma City has beaten the Lakers a few times this season. Uh, and by the way, those losses might come back to bite them by the end of the season when we're looking at their final placement. But honestly, at this point, you've got to look at the Spurs schedule to really figure it out because the Spurs are only a half a game back of the, or sorry, a game back of the Lakers heading into tonight. Also have eight games remaining. They play at Houston tonight. I think they actually did win that game. So now they're only a half game back. They play Memphis. But then they play Portland twice, and those are really two free wins. And then they have to beat. Then they have to play at Denver, at Minnesota, Golden State, and then at Dallas. If they can get one of those final four games after their win against Houston tonight, I mean, look, all they need to do is really get one of those final four and beat Portland both times at home, and all of a sudden 
If they go three and five and the Lakers go two and six, I think the Spurs would actually make the playoffs over the Lakers. I'm not quite sure on the tiebreaker, but it is possible. Uh, and actually, sorry, the, the Spurs actually do hold the play in tiebreaker over the Lakers. So if they go, if the Spurs go three and five with that schedule, if they just manage to beat Portland, tanking Portland, might I add, twice, and then also get one win over Denver, Minnesota, Golden State, and Dallas and the Lakers only managed to beat OKC and one of those seven other playoff teams I mentioned, all of a sudden the Spurs are going to make the playoffs. The Lakers aren't. And look, LeBron is injured right now. Anthony Davis is still injured. I think LeBron's apparently doubtful for the game tomorrow at at Dallas, and so is AD. I mean, I guess that means AD is coming back. They're going to win the game against Oklahoma City. That's what I think. I, I honestly think that LeBron will carry them through the New Orleans game. It's really just asking, can they win one of those other six games against top five teams, or sorry, top six teams only in the West? I'm going to say the answer is no. And I'm going to say, honestly, I do think that with the tiebreaker, I think that the Spurs and the Lakers are going to end up tied. And that tiebreaker is going to send the Lakers home. Although it's definitely a possibility that the Lakers get three out of those games that LeBron carries them through the New Orleans game. And then, you know, there's some injuries going on with some other teams. Or even if Denver at the final game of the season is locked into their seating and they decide that they don't want to play their players a lot, which is definitely a possibility uh, that if Denver's locked into the sixth seed, then they're probably not going to play anybody. Uh, So that's going to be a factor in that too. So I think overall, I'm going to lean towards saying that the Spurs are going to take the Lakers play-in spot. However, I think it's really closer to a 50-50 than me having a definitive decision at this point. Okay, finally, who do you have as of now? In the conference finals and the NBA finals. Well, of course, in my NBA finals, I have my preseason prediction of the Lakers and Nets. Uh, obviously not. Uh, let, let's go back and, and, and let's rewind this. We had the Bucks and the Suns last year in the finals. The Suns have clinched the one seed. It's not even close. They've clinched home field over the whole league, actually, already. So we have the Suns looking very, 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 very good. You also have the Bucks, who I'm saying are going to take the one seed, I'm predicting the finals teams from last year to get the one seeds. Does that mean I think they're going to be in the NBA finals? I'm going to go ahead and say that I'm just going to assume that the standings end the way I thought they will. I'm going to say that the Celtics make it to the conference finals. And I'm going to say the Celtics beat the Bucks in the conference finals to reach the NBA finals. The East just has such parity with LeBron not in it. And I, I I think everybody knows. I mean... The Celtics at some point this season were 23 and 24. Their record now is 47 and 28. Do the math. They're 23 and 4 in their last 27 games. I don't really care who's injured. That's that it's it's almost impossible to do that. I mean, if Phoenix went 20 Phoenix is is we're talking about an 81% winning percentage for Phoenix. And if they went, if you took if you took their games and divided it down to 27 games, that wouldn't even be their record in those games. So they are playing. If they played that whole that way for the whole season, they would be the one seed of the entire. They'd be home. They'd have home field over the entire league, not even just in the East. They wouldn't just be the best team in the East. They would be the best team in the league, and it wouldn't be close by the end of the season. So I'm going to say that the Celtics beat the Bucks in the conference finals, and I'm going to say that. The Suns defeat the Grizzlies in the conference finals. I think the Grizzlies will beat the Warriors in the semifinals. By the way, that is what I'm saying by saying that. Uh, And I think that after the Suns go to the finals again, I think they're going to be victorious this time around. I think that even though the Celtics have made a great run and are the team to beat in the East and maybe even in the whole league, 
I think the only team that comes in a close second is Phoenix. And I think that overall, I, I doubted them all of last year, and I thought that they might regress back this year. And even without Chris Paul, they managed to play really well. And, you know, I don't know how long Robert Williams is going to be out. I think that still without him, they, they're still a good enough team to make it all the way to the conference finals and maybe even go further all the way into the NBA finals. But I will say that if he's out, the Celtics are for sure not going to be able to win the NBA finals. But I'm going to go ahead and say that this year we're going to be crowning the Phoenix Suns as the champions. And uh, maybe it'll be a good send-off for Chris Paul. Obviously, he's still signed, but, uh, you know, it might be a good good near-end uh, gift for Chris Paul. And I think, I seriously do think that they are the best team as is. And, you know, the Warriors are kind of like the Nets last year where, well, everybody can say the whole year, if the Warriors are fully healthy, they're going to win it all. But the Warriors have not been fully healthy all season, and they're still not fully healthy. And if anything, it's gotten worse because as soon as Draymond came back, now Steph got injured. I, I just don't know if they're going to make it all the way being fully healthy. Klay Thompson is maybe maybe getting closer to being 100% fully himself. I think you could make the argument that he is. I, I, I'd be willing to say he's more like 90, 95% of himself. But look, I just don't think that the Warriors are going to make it through healthy. Like, I mean... I'm not going to fall for that trap again that the Nets and the Lakers had me in last year where we were saying if they're fully healthy. When these teams aren't healthy in the regular season, they tend to not be healthy in the in the, in the postseason either. So I'm going to go ahead and say that fully healthy Warriors are my championship pick, but I don't think they will be fully healthy. I'm taking the Suns. Okay, that wraps up our look back at the NBA. It also wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Friday, April 2nd, where we will do a more in-depth preview of the Final Four and look ahead to the start of the Major League Baseball season. Looking forward to having baseball to talk about. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his picks for next weekend's games, his MLB power rankings, and his NBA power rankings, which will be published on Wednesday. All that on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening. And don't be surprised when I jinx another team and neither of those teams even make it to the conference finals, let alone the NBA finals.